first of all, your team looks exactly the way you want it to. You, you to to either you are intentional about diversity or you went or intentionally not doing diversity. Either way, if you really wanted to do something about diversity, then your leadership team would mirror the team that you want. You can't have one race, one gender in your leadership team and then say, well, we're going to have a whole bunch of sales reps, SDRs and BDRs that are 50% ethnically diverse. It doesn't work that way. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That is Cynthia Barnes. Cynthia is the founder and CEO of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals. And she's also the author of a new book titled The Cure, How Diversity and Equity Will Fix Your Sales Culture and Boost Profits. In our conversation today, Cynthia and I talk about some of the key findings from her book, including studies that show that on average, women sales professionals perform at higher levels than their male counterparts. Studies that also show how more diverse organizations perform at higher levels, in fact, 19% higher on average. We also dig into some of the persistent myths that exist about women in sales, like women can't sell to men, for instance. Then we explore some of the specific strategies that Cynthia recommends companies use to increase diversity and, in particular, hire more women into sales. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Cynthia, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. All right, let's jump into it with Cynthia Barnes. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. How about yourself? If I were any better, there'd be two of me. Oh, I love that expression. I don't think I've heard that before. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could say that. I I am just getting over COVID, which mm. um, I was very fortunate. Symptoms weren't very weren't very severe. But sort of the lingering fatigue and and they talk about they want the symptoms being brain fog. Mm. I had that in spades. That was the symptom I had, and it, oh wow, it was uh, it was hard to do serious work for a couple of weeks because it was just like yeah, you just had this big I don't know what a cloud of fog as they said that just made it hard to. I could work, I felt like I could work for like three or four hours and I'd get really tired, you know, mentally, mm. uh, end up taking a lot of naps and so on. So, but fortunately I'm just back to my usual foggy self, not, uh, not as, not as foggy <laughs> as, as I was. So, but Good. otherwise I'm not glad bad. you're feeling better. Well, thank you. So, well, so tell people about uh, you and the work you do. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, let's see. Well, I know you've so, got a lot on your plate, but yeah. Yes, yes. I will pick one plate, and um, I'm a woman in sales influencer, and mm-hmm. I help women who sell B2B services reach the top mm-hmm. 1%. Founder and CEO of National Association of Women Sales Professionals. I'm also a keynote speaker and two-time author. There you go. Love it. So what – I mean, there's a number of – yeah, you know, organizations for women sales professionals. What what prompted you to start yours, and and maybe how is the mission aligned or slightly different from some of the others? Um, yeah, we are the oldest, most diverse, and largest women in sales organization. Started back in 2016, mm-hmm. and we help women uh, reach that top one percent with training, coaching, professional development, and mentoring, all created by women for women. And so, how big of membership? 
Um, our membership is currently around 15,000. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a lot of people. And, uh, I didn't, yeah, I think I read some the figure somewhere. I hadn't realized quite that large. So is there a specific concentration in terms of industry? And is it primarily tech or is it spread across all, all industries? We specialize in helping women who sell business to business services, B2B services. So we don't um, really have a lot of members in retail or okay. B2C services. Got it. So was there, you know, some event that happened that, you know, triggered this idea that, wow, here's a resource that's really missing that's really needed? Yeah. Um, in 2016, I was working in corporate America at a logistics company. And I said, you know, I really want to leave corporate America. I'm tired of selling. And I was talking with my coach and he said, Cynthia, it takes a lot more fuel to get the airplane in the air than it does to keep it in the air. So realize that if you take a total new direction, you're going to have to start from the bottom. And I thought, I've got too many years of experience to start right. at the bottom, to learn something new, to become an expert in another field. So I said, well, what do I know how to do? Answer, I know how to sell. How can right. I make, how can I run a business or start a business selling? But where I come from, they say there's only two functions within a company, someone to make it and someone to sell it. So I figure I've got half of this thing licked. <laughs> so yeah. one of my, one of my friends came from San Francisco with the lean startup company and he said, come up with a hypothesis and then either prove it or disprove it. So mm. my hypothesis was in a world where traditional sales approaches were created by men for men at a time when men made up the entire sales force, nothing wrong with them because I got to the top 1% using them. I wanted to know though, how fast could, or how much faster could women reach the top 1%? If we had sales approaches that address the unique challenges we face while right. amplifying our innate strengths. So right. I proved it, got proof of concept, and here we are. Interesting. Well, let's go back. So why were you tired of selling? What, what <laughs> was it just the lifestyle? Or was it what the products you were selling or the lack of support for management or, or what was it in particular? It was the culture I was in. The, the logistics industry and the company I worked for had a motto or credo, if you will, that we were on call and available to our customers 24-7, 365. Mm -hmm. And they took that very seriously and literally. Right. And what I found was that the larger my book of business became, the more I was on call and had to be available, i.e. the less I slept. Right. So... I did not want that type of lifestyle going forward. And I said, I'm tired of selling. And unfortunately I'd looped at lumped every selling job into that one, but right, I was tired right. literally and figuratively. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could certainly, it could certainly get that way. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I probably had similar motivations when I started my own company mm -hmm. years ago is, is I was certainly tired of what I was doing. Yes. Uh, which involved incessant traveling, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I was traveling 300,000 miles a year around the world. And, and as I tell people, you know, being overseas and, and doing business with people in different cultures and companies or countries was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, you had to fly to get there and back. Yeah. Um, and that, that part really took a toll. And, and uh, yeah, I'd yeah. missed, missed a daughter's birthday, for instance. So I was like, oh, yep, I could do that anymore. No, right? it's not worth it. No, it wasn't worth it. So I made the decision yeah, to step, take a step back and start my own company. Good for you. So 
you've published a new book called mm-hmm. The Cure, How Diversity and Equity Will Fix Your Sales Culture and Boost Profits. And you've alluded to this before, is, is talking about you know, women are, are, are trained, uh, everybody are trained to sell like white men, basically. Um, and I, I, you know, <laughs> there's so much wrong with that. Uh, but it's, we have this, this, I don't know, desire seemingly in sales to make people want to conform to a certain model. And it doesn't seem like it's getting less like that. It seems like the pressure to conform is, is getting greater. I think, yes, and there are those who train new sales reps in the way in which they were trained because they don't know any differently. Mm. So if you take a look at the bookshelves in your local bookstore of sales books, they primarily look like the authors primarily look the same. Yeah, they look like me. (laughs) Then they have, then we have those who wonder what if. Right. Instead of having, or you can do this, or you can do this. There are those of us who say, what about, and you have the traditional sales approaches and you have another way to sell as well. You can now pick which one is best for you. So yes, to your point, it, it, it I guess it depends on the lens through which you look. Those yeah, in AWS, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step in. Go ahead. Oh, those in NAWSP say, you know what? There's another way. And now I get to choose which way works best for me. And now they're influencing their managers to go from you're selling differently, i.e. that's wrong, to you're selling differently and different doesn't mean wrong. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's 100%. I mean, it's sort of a theme of my latest book as well, which is that if if there's five, if there's five million salespeople in the world, there are five million unique ways to sell, and it's really the job of the manager to say, "How can I help you become the best version of you?" Yes, absolutely. And as opposed to have you be just like John or mm-hmm. Jennifer or whatever, right. and and that's why I was talking about conformity because that's, I think, for many managers. And I was just having this conversation with a guest on my show right before we recorded this interview. Is for many managers, it's they're so bound up in this idea that their job as a sales manager, their job is about the numbers and the data and reporting, that they're sort of fearful of people who are different mm-hmm. because it requires more work from them. Yes. And if you think back, our whole country has been founded on some of the fears and some of the stereotypes and some of the biases are be based in fear. Mm-hmm. People don't like what they're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. People, very few people are willing to say, here's a different way to look at something. Let me investigate it. They resort, revert back to their comfort level. So it's human nature. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's, it's so true. I mean, I, it, sales needs to change, but the way the change is to incorporate different points of view, uh, different life experiences, different perspectives, other than sort of the path we've been marching down. Because quite frankly, where we are today isn't a very good spot in sales um, in terms of just an overall performance standpoint. And, you know, resisting the fact that we need change isn't helping. And you know what? 
it's not going to change until we change the face of sales leadership. Mm -hmm. Because when you have those in sales leadership who subscribe to the, it's not broke, don't fix it type of mentality versus those who say, if it's not broken, keep working. Mm -hmm. Then it will always be the same. However, there are those out there who challenge the status quo and say, why not? How can I dot, 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 fill in the blank? Right. So I'm hopeful. Well, good. I mean, I, <laughs> we want people to be hopeful about it. I mean, it's the data. Yes, yeah, not very encouraging at this moment. I mean, I think it was, a, I think I read like 60, roughly 65% of all uh, B2B sales jobs are held by white males, um, which is an overrepresentation by a significant amount. Um, so yeah, obviously we have still a lot of, a lot of work, just the work is just starting a lot of work to do to change things. So you talk about, and you start your book really boldly sort of saying, Hey, we need more women in sales, which wholeheartedly agree with. And the thing that, and you allude to this and, and I've seen studies about this. Uh, one in particular came out of the insurance industry saying that, yeah, based on the research, women outperform men in sales. Mm -hmm. And if you're a sales leader and you see that, right? It's like you think, okay, gosh, you're people always talk about sales people being coin operated, right? I mean, if you're a sales manager and, and you're paid on performance and you saw that data, which is available, why wouldn't you make it your life's work to hire more women to sales? Because it'll make you more successful. Short answer. It takes work well, yeah. to, to hire women in sales. Not that they're not out there. Number one, you have to go where they are. I tell our partners all the time who want to recruit high achieving women in sales. If you're looking for a trucker, you go to trucker.com. If you're looking for diverse female sales candidates, then mm -hmm. let's have a conversation. So number one, you have to go where they are. Number two, before you even do that, you've got to think about your culture. If you're having beer drop Fridays and cornhole competitions and ping pong and local events at the happy hour, you have to look and see, does the majority of my female sales staff enjoy doing those things? There are some who do, and that's great. However, if your female sales staff does not enjoy the bro culture, then there's an opportunity to create a culture of belonging where everyone feels like they belong. Yeah. I mean, and so the first step to doing that is, is, and you talk about this is for instance, you know, look at how you recruit. Yes. Right. I mean, the, the job descriptions that you still see out there mm -hmm. for sales jobs, I mean, yeah. still lean very heavy into sort of these macho terms about, you know, hunters and closers and, and which, first of all, just complete nonsense. And, but even more importantly, is buyers don't want people who are hunters or closers. No. You know, they want, they want people who can help them get their jobs done. They want people who can be curious and open-minded and are you know, problem solvers. And yes. that doesn't tend to come from that population if you're trying to say hunter closer types. Right. And buyers, believe it or not, are looking at your staff, your leadership team, 
to see whether or not they are represented in your staff. Absolutely. I spent two hours yesterday looking for a firm to handle a project that we're working on at NAWSP. Mm-hmm. And every time I would go to the about us section where they had the pictures and profiles of their team members, not once did I see anyone who looked like me. Right. And, and that screams volumes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a sort of basic acid test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are they even making an effort at that? Point? They're not. No. And so this is part of, yeah, I talk to companies about this and say, you know, how you rep- put yourself out there. That's, that is your brand, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you've got, you're creating a brand among your sales team. Yes. Um, and what do you want that to be? Exactly. Exactly. I may have to put that on LinkedIn tomorrow. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, it's, but it's, it's there whether you're trying to create one or not, but hopefully you are trying to be intentional to your point about creating an outward facing team that mm-hmm. looks like the people you're selling to. And you know what? If, if you're, first of all, your team looks exactly the way you want it to. Well, yeah, of course. You, of course. you to, to either you are intentional about diversity or you went or intentionally not doing diversity. Either way, if you really wanted to do something about diversity, then your leadership team would mirror the team that you want. You can't have one race, one gender in your leadership team and then say, well, we're going to have a whole bunch of sales reps, SDRs and BDRs that are 50% ethnically diverse. It doesn't right. work that way. Well, it looks like also that this has become a little, little more challenging, even though there's much more attention being focused to DEI over the last several years. But the fact is that you know during the pandemic, the large numbers of women, including in sales, left the workforce um, you know, for a variety of reasons, whether it's you know, at-home schooling and so on. And some of these reasons are being uh, addressed, but you know, it still existed. We lost a tremendous number. I forget the number. I think the lowest, I said the participation in the workforce by women was down to the level it was back in the 80s. So what if we shifted that statement to say, instead of we lost them, we didn't create opportunities for them to stay. Oh, yeah. Right. Because there were some companies out there that went above and beyond and said, okay, we realize that single mothers will leave our company if they don't have money for childcare, if they don't have someone to deliver the schooling. There are some companies who said, you know what, we're going to go move away from the FaceTime requirement. As long as you XYZ employee get your work done, it doesn't matter what time of day you do it. Women are highly responsible, especially those who are single mothers to tell them that they have to be on camera or in their seat from eight until five Eastern standard time is unfair. However, if you were to say, as long as you get your work done, it could be at two o'clock in the morning. We don't care. But this thing, that's the point I was making about sales is that's, it's like the culture has changed. I mean, when I got started in sales, which admittedly was a long time ago, but that was the whole ethos. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. explicitly told by a, a boss early on is like, uh, yeah, you get your job done and you're hitting your numbers and you're working two hours a day. Love it. Right? Yeah. Um, it's your business. 
Mm-hmm. I was explicitly told you're the CEO of your your book of business. Yes. Uh, work accordingly. Mm-hmm. But that, to your point, that seems to have really dissipated. Uh, yeah. And I think that's partially you know, the, the impact of technology because now there's so much more transparency into what mm-hmm. every action sellers are taking and managers can see everything and hear everything that, yeah, I think people feel, yeah, not that they can, you know, if I can get my job done four hours a day, I'll do it, but I need to actually work more. Yes. Yes. That's unfortunate too. Yeah. Yeah. We're so in love with our, our fascination with work in this country is, is a little crazy. Yeah. We wear burnout like a, and busyness, like a badge. We glorify the grind. Yeah. Which doesn't help anybody. No. No. And it does a huge disservice to those of us who want peace and to get paid at the same time. Yeah. Which again, you should be able to do. I mean, it's, it's, I still think sales is that profession. Part of the reason you should want to go into sales Mm -hmm. is having the flexibility in your work routine. But again, we serve along with the line we talked about before about conformity is where managers not only are want to enforce conformity Mm -hmm. in terms of how people act and talk and so on, but also in terms of things they do and the number of things they do and the quantity of things they do, which becomes more important than actually the outcomes of what they do. Exactly. And the outcome is the, should be the primary driver. I would love for sales managers to say, here is your goal, how you get there. As long as it's legal, as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical, I don't care how you get there. Yeah. But most managers don't trust enough to let that happen. Well, it's the fear thing. It is the fear thing. Right? It's the fear thing. Because if I know you're all doing the same thing and we don't hit our number, at least I could tell my boss, well, we're doing the right things, quote unquote, right things. Yes. Whereas, yeah, and this is the story of my book is because subtitle, my book, my book, Sell Without Selling Out, subtitle, A Guide to Success on Your Own Terms. Mm Mm-hmm is, yeah, you have to take ownership yes. of how you sell. You do. No one cares about you as much as you do. So, yeah, experiment. Try new things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hold yourself accountable. You still mm-hmm. have to make your numbers. That's fine. Sure. But as long as you're doing that, yeah, give you the autonomy and the freedom to experiment and try something that seems to work better for you. Yeah, you know what they say, nothing beats a failure but a try. <laughs> Well, one thing you talk about in the book, which is interesting is, and I, I don't know, this just isn't in my mind, so maybe I'd be a a bit naive, but you're saying that there's this myth that some men hold that women can't sell to men. Mm. Yeah. I mean, do 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 you encounter that? Yes. Yes. It's the you don't understand or you're not relatable enough. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. And I have to overcome that even in my role. Mm -hmm. Even in my role, I was told in the very beginning of NAWSP that the majority of partners who wanted to partner with, with us would be of another race and another gender. So I should therefore have someone who matched that race and gender makeup represent my company to them. Crazy. Crazy, Crazy. right? Well, the thing is, you you say it's a myth that women in sales can't sell to men, but 
when you look at what's happening in the B2B world, where you know, we get multiple reports showing that what 56% of sellers don't hit their quota, you could make the case that men can't sell to men either. I'd probably get a whole bunch of hate mail if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, we're just, we're sort of in this little bit of a downward spiral, I think, in a lot of B2B sales. And the only solution is change. Yes. And change in terms of, well, we've talked about several of the, the aspects that, that need to change, but there's this, this resistance and you know, it's part of, you know, you're obviously part of that movement to change. You know, I'm trying to move, make people move forward and change too, because it's just not working. That is true. There is a lot of work to do. And sometimes I sit and I think, am I making a difference? Is, is the sacrifice, the blood, sweat, tears, time, energy, resources that I have poured into this movement, am I making a difference? And then I'll get an inbox message from a young black woman who will say, Cynthia, I never saw a successful black woman in sales until I saw you. Mm. Or my, my 10 year old niece who will, who will tell her mom, well, why can't I? Auntie does. Right. So it, to know that I'm, I'm changing the world little by little, leaving a legacy so that my niece doesn't have to go in front of a boardroom full of men and encounter the same bias I do. That's what keeps me going. And also, knowing that there's so much work to do. I encountered a CEO who was frustrated with the, the whole DE&I movement. And frustrated how? Frustrated because it's something that he didn't want to do, but in the advent of the new, the, the new landscape, he knew it was the thing to do. The nouveau riche, if you will. It was a checkbox. A checkbox, Yes. And I always say that diversity is beyond the checkbox. But he said something that broke my heart. It enraged me at first, but it broke my heart later because I thought, this is how so many others think and feel. They just don't have the guts to say it. He said, if I'd known how much trouble they were going to pee, I would have picked the cotton myself. What? Yes. Yes. What? Yes. I had to look at the calendar wait. and say, wait. You know, I was going to say, it's, this was recent? This was yes. like 50 years ago? No, no. Which told me one thing. It told me a couple of things. But number one, nobody on his team who has heard him say that before or oh, something right. similar has ever checked him to say, you know what, Bob? That's not right. And Bob's not his real name. But that's not, that's not the right attitude. Or we can't say things like that. Number two, you want to have way, a culture of way, belonging. Just Cynthia, yes. Just to introduce, I mean, I'm a little extreme on some of this stuff, but I, I don't know. I would have posted about that. That's so, that's so egregious. Yes, it is. That, you know, there have been examples where women rightfully called out men. Uh, you had Rachel May on the show works with, Keenan and his group that, mm -hmm. you know, had to absorb this appalling behavior from a man she called on a sales call and she name checked him and LinkedIn and called him out. Yeah. 
deserved it. hundred percent. hundred percent. Guy's just complete total asshole. Yes. Right. When you get stuff like this is, is <laughs> I know it's, it's easy for me to say, but I mean, is it like, you feel your fingers going to the keyboard to say, look, this enough. Is oh, enough yeah. Oh, yeah. I type it up and I say, OK, I can only have 2,500 characters in a LinkedIn post. Maybe I should do a video. And I'm 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 hurt. I'm hurt. I am enraged. And I think, how can I get back at him? How can I expose him? How can I show the world how awful he is? And then I take a step back and I say. That's not my platform. That's not my place. How is it that I could influence him to change his mindset for the sake of his company and the culture of his company? That's the approach I took. I wanted to blast him. I wanted to use my platform and my 30 some thousand followers to call out bad behavior. Mm. I really wanted to. I sometimes think that's, <laughs> I know people are going to hate this when I say it, but I sometimes think, yeah, sometimes people deserve to be canceled. They do. However, am I the one that is, I, I'm not the persecutor. I would rather go in and try to influence a shift change, a mindset shift change. Ultimately, it's on him whether or not he wants to change the culture of his organization. I would be remiss in my role if I didn't point out and say, you know what? Could we look at this through a lens that's a little fresher? That's well, my you, approach. Were you able to have that conversation with him? Yes. Oh, okay. So tell us about that. That's great. It did not go well. And even <laughs> well, though, yeah, I'm for, and even I'm though. I wouldn't expect it to, but yeah. <laughs> Even though I came with all of my sugar and spice and everything nice, you know, sometimes a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just can't get people to change their mindset if they don't want to. But right. I can rest my head on my pillow knowing that I did everything within my power to try to get him to look through this lens that's a little different than his narrow-minded, antiquated, racist belief system. Yeah. And I feel sorry for him. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it's shocking still, the number of comments like that you hear. Yeah. Um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And you look what's happening in the world at large, in our society, right. and, mm -hmm. and, yeah, clearly, you know, large group of people that still you know, would adopt mm -hmm. that, but it's, it's still shocking in the business world. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. Oy, I'm so sorry. Um, Vengeance is not mine. No, it's just, yeah, I'm a huge believer that, you know, right wins out in the long run. It and, always does. It yeah. always does. Yes. And it's worth being positive and optimistic about that. Mm -hmm. But it's that sometimes the offense is so egregious that, um, yeah, I mean, I've had to, call out clients that said things to me, mm -hmm. not about me, but about other people, uh, other races. And you just can't let it pass. I think no. at this point, mm -hmm. no, he was, he was checked behind, uh, behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. I believe in criticizing and 
bringing up issues behind closed doors rather than publicly. There are others who, who differ and they would have done it publicly. However, for Cynthia Barnes, that's the approach that I took and I'm comfortable with that approach. And I can only hope and pray that I made a difference in his thinking, no matter how small it was. Yeah. Well, I've probably been like you. I probably have written up the email and not sent it, but it would have felt better (laughs) for having written it. Um, (laughs) Or the LinkedIn post. Um, yeah. Well, another interesting point in the book, and this has come up in conversations I've had with other women who, you know, trying to change the equation relative to diversity in sales, is uh, one of the things you talk about is it's really important to be able to track women's performance with an eye toward progress. Yes. And career progression. Because I think, again, back to this checkbox mentality, it's like, okay. Hired a woman, check the box, or hired a woman yep. of color, check the box. Check two boxes. Yep. Check two boxes. Um, but then don't do enough to to mentor, for instance. I mean, the difficulty of mm-hmm. uh, finding a mentor. Um, mm-hmm. How are we helping you know, yes. people of color that come into sales, women that come into sales, to give them the resources to help them advance? Yes. We took a look at those things. And number one, we are coming, we are launching a, a full scale metric driven KPI in enhanced mentoring system. It's more than just a point click and match. It actually mm-hmm. has, um, metrics that you and your mentor decide on. And then we measure those quarterly to see how you're coming along with those. So that you can go back to your leadership and say, I helped a mentee accomplish this. And here's the proof or I'm a mentee and my mentor helped me accomplish this. So Mm -hmm. we want um, data-driven, tangible, measurable success and metrics. Second thing I encourage uh, managers to do is to take a look at segment your team and measure the performance of the men versus the women. If the women are not performing to the level that the men are or vice versa, the data don't lie. So find out why those groups are different. Does one group need training? Does one group need mentoring, coaching, whatever it is? If that subset group is not performing as well as your top performers, that's a key that there's something is wrong. Well, interesting on that is, do you think HR would feel comfortable with people tracking data by gender? I think they have to. They have to. It's the mindset that, well, we can't do that or we can't, we can't have a campaign to hire black women. Well, you know what? Either you do and you're intentional about diversity or the status quo will remain. Yeah. Oh, no, I can see H. The reason I asked the question is because I've (laughs) seen HR departments throwing their hands up and saying, oh, we can't do that. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, how else do you track progress? Exactly. You can't improve what's not measured. Yeah. Back to Peter Drucker. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And so the other thing you talked about in the book, uh, among other things that I thought was interesting, is you talked about uh, reasons you're having trouble hiring women in sales. And you cite six reasons. Um, one, again, it's all about being intentional and a lot of companies aren't intentional about this. You're talking about your company's social media presence as an advertisement for your bro culture. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, see that on multiple occasions. Yes. And people think, I think people are just blind to it. They're accepting because that's the traditional sales. They've always seen it that way. Yeah. The second reason you have is your job descriptions lack gender neutrality. We talked about that before. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, like I said, in this day and age, it's still stunning to me that people mm-hmm. think that <laughs> that the words they use don't have an impact on people searching for jobs. Exactly. I'll give you a prime example. We worked with a company who um, who said one of the requirements in the job is you must be able to regularly lift 40 pounds. I don't know many women in sales who would want to do that. So we took a took a look at what it is that the sales rep would be lifting. And it yeah, was a tire. A tire. Are they and selling so we, tires? They were selling tires, yes. Okay. Those those agricultural tires or they're small, like semi-tires and things like that. Right. So we took we went out to the field and we asked sales reps, how often do you lift a tire? And they said, we don't lift tires. We put it on its edge and we roll it. Right. So little tweaks like that, that you wouldn't think that's necessarily male or female. That statement alone must be able to regularly lift 40 pounds. Disqualified women because they didn't want to do that on a regular basis. Well, but it was, it was meant to be exclusionary. Yes, yeah, yes. that was that was intentional. I mean, that yes. that was not. Oh, you need to lift tires. That was no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe once somebody lifted a tire, it's like, oh, women can't do that. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Forty. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised they didn't say in your in your business suit. Um, yes. <laughs> you, you, yeah. So you say interview panels lack diversity. I mean, clearly, if you're if you're upper management has no diversity. Yeah. Your interview panels are going to lack it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sales leadership team all looks the same. We talked about, um, so this one is interesting. You said you're hiring and onboarding practices promote isolation. So, so tell me what you mean about that. So it's bad enough being the only woman on the team, the only black on the team, the only Asian American Mm -hmm. on the team. So when you onboard me and I'm the only one from day one, I feel isolated. So the way around that is on board in pairs or groups of three. So you start to, they can form their little ERG, if you will, so that they Mm -hmm. don't go through the onboarding process alone. But the moment you have a, a, an onboarding class, let's say it's 10 and you have one black and you have one woman and they're the only one. Yes, you've hit your diversity metrics, but how are they feeling about being right. welcomed into the company where no one looks like them? Right. Yeah, no, I, I interviewed a woman on the show who's a senior sales leader at a quite large company and talks about she'd started in sales then left and she got hired into a sales role because when she showed up for the first day on the job, it was like, no one looks like me. Yeah. No one looks like me. Yeah. So when you're saying pair people up is, as you said, you hire, you know, one person of color, one woman, it's, you're not saying pair them up. No, I'm saying no, hire. But, yeah. 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 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, um, have more than one woman, have more than one African-American, have more than, you know, just don't, don't have your tokens. Nobody wants to be a token. Well, it doesn't really address the goal of being diverse. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It feels false. It feels like, okay, we did the bare minimum. We got one in. We had our goal for the quota, for the quarter. How is that supposed to make anyone feel special? How is that supposed to make anyone feel like they 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 belong? Right. Well, you know, there's still this also prevailing mentality out there, and I've encountered it just in the last couple of years with a company I was working with that um, maybe, was, maybe a little longer than two years ago, but um, it had been a consulting client, and we were talking about this issue and trying to address this with the sales leader, and. But, you know, they sort of got stuck in this false narrative about, you know, we're, we're hiring the best available person for the job. And you talk about this in the book, too, the sort of false narrative around the meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell us about that. So when I hear that we're just hiring the best person for the job, my first question is, why does the diverse nature of a candidate and the best person for the job, why are they mutually exclusive? You say you want diversity on your team, yet you allow your hiring managers to fall back on their excuses. We're just hiring the best person for the team. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, if your pipeline is full of highly qualified, diverse candidates, then your hiring managers, your talent acquisition folks, have people to choose from. It's when you have one or two peppercorns and a jar full of salt where it's easy to say, well, we don't have any qualified candidates and we're going to choose the best one for the job. Well, you only had two to choose from in the first place. Right. Well, I mean, I don't I don't accept a lot of excuses. No. And this gets back to an issue that I think most people don't really focus on, which is a lot. It's about access to opportunity. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, okay, where are you recruiting? Right. Right. Oh, we're only going to go to the top schools. So we're only going to go. It's like, why, why would you go just recruit there? Exactly. I mean, if sales teaches you anything, it's that given the right opportunity, people, <laughs> anybody can succeed in the profession practically. I've seen exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Right. So you need to broaden the access to the opportunity and be a little mm-hmm. less. Yeah. I mean, it, I think you know the tech world is particularly bad about this. Um, you know, we only hire from the top schools. It's like, so what's that have to do with anything? Exactly. You'll keep getting what you always have. But it also goes back to the leaders of those tech companies who were not exposed to diversity in their youth, in their college years. They are not comfortable with diversity. Now it's just a it's something to do. Yeah. All right. Still a lot of work to be done. Yes, there's opportunity everywhere, yeah. everywhere. everywhere, yes. Everywhere. All right, so if people want to learn more about NAWSP, National Association of Women Sales Professionals, uh, yes. where can they do that? NAWSP.org. Perfect. And connect with you, Cynthia Barnes. On LinkedIn. Yes, LinkedIn, please. Yes, she's active on LinkedIn. So, Cynthia, pleasure to have you here. And Thank you so uh, much for having me. And forward to talking again soon. Yes, please. Let's make it sooner rather than later. All right. Take care. You too. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. 
And I want to thank my guest, Cynthia Barnes, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 